Okay, we've been continuing our study through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, in the last chapter, chapter 12, the Lord confronted David about his sin. And we saw that the Lord gave David grace because he was not put to death because of his sins. Both of those uh, sins of adultery and murder, they were requiring death penalty. So the Lord showed tremendous grace there as David confessed his sin and got right with the Lord. And even though he was shown mercy, the consequences of his sin were going to remain. The Lord told him that. And some of those consequences, they start to show up here in chapter 13. So we'll get a chance to look at that today. We're going to see two of David's sons here, Amnon and Absalom. Amnon was David's oldest son. And because of that, he really was in line to be the next king after David. Absalom was probably going to be the next son of David uh, after that, who would be in line for the king if, uh, if something happened to Ammon there. Uh, we think there was a son in between, but he seems to have faded off the pages for some reason. So some speculate maybe he died at an early age before uh, even growing up to an adulthood there. We don't know. Uh, the issue we're going to see in our passage today, though, is that David's sin and the backsliding that occurred because of it it apparently kept David from making it a priority to discipline his children. And when we don't make that a discipline, I mean a priority in our life to discipline our children and to raise them in the love and the admonition of the Lord, we can't expect some bad consequences in their future. And that's, that's just the way things go there. So we're going to see some sad, sad things happen today. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, After this, Absalom, the son of David had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. <laughs> so you can tell right away we got kind of a funny little story starting here. We've got two different guys acknowledged to be the son of David and a lady who's, who's uh, declared to be a sister of the one. So we see there's some problems here. And it's from David having multiple wives. That's one of the issues that's going to come up here and going to have an effect on the story. David has kids who, some are half-brothers and half-sisters, and some who are full brothers and full sisters. Uh, Absalom and Tamar listed here, they are uh, full brother and sister. Amnon, he would have been half-brother to both Absalom and Tamar. So again, we got issues here because of the multiple wives that David has is, is, uh, taken here. And we're told here something interesting about Amnon. It says he loved Tamar. But actually, this love was just lust. And we'll see that in the story. That's the Hollywood version of love. You know, it's just lust that's wrapped up all fancy and sold as love when it's not even really close to what love is. You see, real love cares about doing what's best for other people. That's real love. Uh, lust, on the other hand, just cares about us getting what we want for ourselves. So we see that all our society today, I mean, you look around and we can see this everywhere, the results of this, this uh, falsely called love, but it's actually lust. You know, people have swallowed Hollywood's false definition for love. And uh, we'll get to see the ugliness of that kind of lust right here as we look at Amnon and the story as he shows his, quote, love for Tamar. You go on to verse 2. 
And it says, Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. Now, can you imagine he was so infatuated with her that (laughs) he had it in his head that he just had to have her, you know? So he became sick because he wasn't eating and that apparently allowed his system to run down. And isn't it amazing how strong our emotions can get, you know, that we even neglect food because we're so focused on this person that we think we care so much about and how it can have such an effect on us. We're told here too, in verse two, it says, uh, for she was a virgin and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. So we're told she was a virgin, so she wasn't married, which meant that she would have been available. But the problem with Amnon seeking her to be with her, even if it was for marriage, would have been that the law of Moses forbid that type of relationship between half-brothers and sisters. So look back to Leviticus 18. It's been a while since we went through Leviticus 18, if you want to see this. And this is the law of Moses they were living by at this time, so... This was known to them. This wasn't any secret or some uh, untold thing here for them. In Leviticus 18 and verse 9, it says, The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother. So you can see we've got a, talking about a half-brother, half-sister here. It says, Whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. So very clear here, the Lord is saying you will have no relationship in that nature with your half-brother or half-sister, the Lord forbids that from taking place. So for Amnon here in the story, it's not an option, okay? And that's why it says uh, it would be improper for him to do anything to her. You know, even in her current situation of being the virgin daughter of the king, there would have been some safeguards in place to help protect her, you know, even more. In the Jewish culture at that time, they were very modest because they were mostly walking in obedience to the Lord's way through the law of Moses. And walking closely with the Lord is naturally going to produce modesty in a culture. I mean, unfortunately, we can see the reverse of that, right? We look at our culture today and we see how far we've drifted, you know, further and further away from the Lord. And look at the extreme lack of modesty and the outright crudity and lewdness you know, that is now built into our way of life into this country. And it's no wonder the Lord has shaken up our country right now with extreme hurricanes and solar flares and the threat of nuclear war breathing down our neck all at the same time. Uh, The Lord is trying to wake us up that we've gone the far wrong direction here. We need to come back to the Lord. So modesty here would have helped in restraining the urges for lust in the Jewish culture at that time. But added to that was the fact that she was the virgin daughter of the king. Now that meant that wherever she would go, she's going to have an escort, you know, like bodyguards going with her. So it would have been very hard to get alone with her somewhere. So there's a lot of safeguards built into this situation. And we're going to see that Amnon blows past all of them. But that there is protection here normally in this situation. It's just that some people let their guard down. So here's Amnon, who thinks he's in love with his half-sister Tamar, but it's actually lust, it's not love. And the conflict here is that you have Amnon 
lusting coming directly against the law of the Lord, the law of Moses. So now you've got this decision, which way do we go? <laughs> do I go with my own lusts and desires or do I obey the Lord? You know, and it would help if he had somebody to come alongside you there. Well, he's going to have somebody come alongside, but it's not a good guy. Verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. Now, did you notice how verse 3 starts with the word but? So when it says, you know, that it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her, that should have been the end of the story. You know, he can't, can't have relations with her. So no matter how bad he wants her, it should have been, okay, boom, can't do that. Let's move on. Instead, verse 3 starts with the word but. And that means there's a change in direction. So you know whatever comes after that word is going to be trouble. And it's interesting when you put the whole statement together, you know, it's saying that it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her, but Amnon had a friend. Wow. Right there. I mean, you can tell there's something wrong that's going to happen now. You know, so right off the bat, we know this friend is not going to turn out to be a good thing. This friend is not going to uphold the law of Moses. He's going to counsel Amnon instead to basically disregard the law of Moses. So this becomes one of the major lessons in this story from our passage today. What do you do when you have a friend who will not direct you to obey the Lord, but to disobey the Lord? And that's what we're going to see as we deal with this. You know, it would have been great if he would have had some, if Ammon would have had a, a very godly friend that would come to him and remind him here that, that God's word is there to protect us. You know, it protects us from the deadly and the dangerous consequences that sin can cause. That would have been wonderful to have that kind of friend show up, but that's not who he has here, okay? Instead, we're told that this friend, Jonadab, he was a very crafty man. And not just a crafty guy, it said a very crafty man. Wow. This means that he was very good at getting around roadblocks, like, say, the Word of God, for instance. <laughs> we know how to get around that. We can find a loophole. So being a crafty guy is absolutely not a good thing. Having a guy like that as a friend is going to land you in trouble somewhere, okay? And think how serious this is. Do you know how many people are sitting in prison right now today or how many have lost their life because they had friends just like this? And people, they listen to the wrong advice from a person who is not interested in doing the right thing. You know, their goal is to see how much they can get away with and think that they were not going to get caught. And when you have landed yourself in prison because you took that advice, you know, it's way too late to have do-overs. Those people there have nothing but regret, regrets now. So we need to take the warning from our passage today about having bad friends to influence our lives, and we need to take that as an extreme warning from the Lord before it's too late. So this man, Jonadab, was no good for Amnon. You go on to verse 4. And he said to him, so here is his good buddy talking now, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner 
day after day. Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, did you notice the similarity here of Jonadab's approach to the same kind of approach I think the devil used with Eve back in the garden? You know, we were told in that story that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And when the devil approached Eve, he started by asking these leading questions, kind of like Jonadab does here. Remember, the servant said to Eve, has God indeed said, you know? And here Jonadab's question is similar in nature. You know, it's, it's probing into his life, and he's basically saying, you're the king's son, and you can have any type of food and any amount of food that you want. So what's going on in your life that you're not eating much? And this has been going on for days and days, I can see, because you've, you've lost some weight. So it's almost as though he's looking for a weak, weak spot here to work in his craftiness, just like the serpent did with Eve in the garden. We probably need to have our warning flags go up. If we have a friend like this who wants to start to pry into our life, that should throw some flags up there, you know? And how do you like Jonadab here even going further after pointing this out? And he says, will you not tell me? You can almost hear the hiss at the end of that question, you know? Yeah, I smell the devil in what's going on. So verse 5, so Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I might see it and eat it from her hand. So Jonadab should have rebuked him at this point. You know, that's what godly friends would do. Instead, he gives Amnon a plan on how to fulfill his sinful desire. And notice the deceptive things here that are hidden in this plan. You know, like the, have her food, or prepare the food in your sight. And it says so he'll be able to see the food. <laughs> but in reality, it's so that he can stare at her and start to get his lustful desires stirred up. And then it says, to eat it from her hand. She'd have to come very close to him in order to feed him like that. So this is promoting the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh in the life of Amnon. And you know, the, the enemy knows how to dangle that carrot in front of us, doesn't he? The problem is we don't need to help him out by having bad friends to start with. Jonadab here, he's such a disappointment He's an Israelite, so he's supposed to be a believer, right? But he turns out to be a bad influence. And again, we've got to be very careful about the friends we make because how many people, again, are in prison right now or in the grave because of the influence of bad friends? You know, if you get a strong desire, too, for some sin in any area of your life, the last thing you need is a bad friend, <laughs> You need a godly friend who's going to love you enough to rebuke you in the Lord. You know, but if you do have a friend who will draw you close to the ways of the world, then you need to run from that friend. You need to break off that relationship because that will lead you to a messed up, disobedient life. You know, when you think about this, what kind of a friend are we? 
Are we influencing people around us to get closer to the Lord or closer to the world? When I was a fairly young believer, I had a Christian friend who came to me and he said he had a new girlfriend. He was trying to convince me that the Lord had brought her into his life. And as his story unfolded, (laughs) I came to find out that this new girlfriend just happened to be married to another man. So what do you say to a friend like that? You know, do you help him to justify this sinful relationship he's trying to get going here? Or do you tell him that God forbids a married woman to run around in a relationship like this with another man? So God is obviously not the one who brought this woman into this man's life, you know? You know, as I did try to reason with this guy about this ungodly relationship and how God doesn't overrule his word, he sticks to his word, that's our foundation, so the Lord did not bring this lady into your life. As I tried to help him and think that through, I noticed that he didn't hang around me anymore. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, it's, it's better to stand for truth and lose the friendship than to keep the friendship by agreeing with their sin. And I hope you don't, but I have to ask you, do you have someone in your life that encourages to do whatever your flesh wants to do, that tries to justify any sinful behavior in your life. If you do, then how dangerous do you think that influence can be in your life? The scheme that Jonadab came up with here, it was going to lead to a rape first, the rape of Tamar, and then later to the death of Amnon because of the sin that he's about to commit. How bad can it be to have influences in your life that will lead you the wrong direction? It can be very, very bad. And it can lead to some heartbreaking regrets. You know, the Lord encourages us to surround ourselves with godly people. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a very good reminder for us here. 2 Timothy in chapter 2. Here's Paul talking to Timothy, the young pastor here. And he tells him things that we need to hear, especially in our culture today. 2 Timothy 2 and down to verse 22, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. And look who it says you're supposed to pursue these things with. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So if we're busy doing these things, we're pursuing these things, we're just not going to you know, nod our head at that and say, yeah, that's, that's pretty good stuff. But the Lord says to actively pursue them. And who are we supposed to do that with? With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we need to be reminded of this. And we have an enemy who would love to get us off track from following the Lord. And he would even love to take us further than that and completely destroy our life. I was reading something this week that was talking about the devil, you know, as he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And it was saying in there, it's not talking about him just nibbling on us. It's talking about him devouring us. That means he wants to completely destroy us. And that's why I think he's so relentless when he attacks. You know, when you're in spiritual warfare, sometimes you're thinking, man, doesn't this guy ever take a break? Doesn't he come up for air sometime? But he's after us, you know, and he wants to do that destructive work. Uh, look down back to 2 Samuel again, chapter 13 and verse 6. 
excuse me, it says, Then Amnon lay down, and he pretended to be ill. So he's going to follow Jonadab's little scheme here. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So David didn't suspect anything, you know, and I mean, he looks at his son and he's thinking, you do look kind of peaked here, you look like something's wrong. So he thinks, all right, if there's a solution here, if he really likes Tamar's cooking, then maybe this is what he needs to perk him up. So he's not suspecting a thing. He, he tells Tamar about it and she doesn't expect anything. And as far as she knows, she thinks she's coming to help her sick brother and help him get well, you know. Verse 8. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cake. So obviously this has taken time for her to knead this and everything and put it together, and he's just enjoying the show. He's watching everything she does and, and staring at her. So here's Amnon. He, he's putting it on thick. He's laying down, acting like he's really sick, and you know, the truth is he is sick, but it's not in the way he thinks or he's portraying. He is sick spiritually, and he is sick in the way of dishonesty. Verse 9, it says, And she took the pan, and she placed them out before him. <clears throat> Excuse me, But he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. He wanted privacy. These are some of the tricks that the devil uses. He wants privacy, and he wants secrecy. You know, I was talking to Josh the other day, and he said that his dad always told him that the devil likes to work in darkness. So we need to beware when we're tempted to find that place where no one will know. <laughs> That's a very dangerous place to be because the enemy's waiting right there for us. Come down to verse 10. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and he said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. So he grabs her so she can't get away. And he even refers to her as his sister. So he's fully aware that what he is doing is wrong. You want to verse 12. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Now here we find, you know, that she's got a godly character and a godly mindset. Now, those are the kind of things you want in a real friend. So she doesn't want to do anything that's going to bring any shame on Israel, on God's people. That's one of the first things she mentions here. And she clearly says that this would be a disgraceful thing if you did this. Verse 13, she goes on. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore... Please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. So she tries to reason with him. 
and to get him to think of the bad consequences that are going to come from this, this sinful action he's about to perform if he goes through with this. So she herself, she points out, she's going to have so much shame that's brought into her life because of this. It's going to make it so that she can't be married because now she's been defiled by this. So she's pointing this out to him. Think this through. This is going to ruin my life. Then she says, as for your life, she tells him, you know, that he's going to end up being just a fool. So his reputation as being a great honorable king is going to be ruined, you know, if he were to follow his dad. So he's actually going to be throwing away his opportunity to be the next king of Israel because of his damaged reputation. You know, now, why didn't any of this godly wisdom come from his friend Nadab? You know, this, uh, it's just not going to come from a guy like that. Here, he's got someone right in front of him who's trying to wake him up, you know. And look what's going on here. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 10 for a second. I think this is very interesting, the way the Lord does this. 1 Corinthians 10, and down to verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. And here's the reason, here's the result of that, that you may be able to bear it. So back here in the story, Tamar, she is the way out from this sin that he wants to, to commit here, from this strong temptation that he has. All these things that she was saying to him were opportunities for him to think this through and a way to escape this evil temptation that's going on right now in his life. So the Lord was trying to give him a warning and a way out. And unfortunately, he's not going to pay attention to that. And, you know, the last statement he made back here in uh, 2 Samuel, verse 13, where it says, uh, uh, where she said to him, I'm sorry, now therefore please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. I don't think she meant that statement. <laughs> she knows her dad and she knows that, you know, he's not going to go against the law of Moses in this. So I think she's just trying to buy time. She knows if I can get him to back off enough and get him to think, well, you know, why don't we try to do this the right way? You're right. We'll go to our father and see what he can do. I think David would definitely say, there's no way we're going to break the law of Moses. And then she would be able to escape, you know, this trap that's been set up for her. So I don't think she's, with her character she's got, I don't think she knows, she thinks dad's going to blow it on this one. But she's trusting her dad to be her protector. Well, verse 14, it says, however, he would not heed her voice. What a sad statement. And being stronger than she, he forced her and he lay with her. So he paid no attention to her attempt to reason with him. He was going to have his selfish way and he didn't care who it hurt or even what it would cost him. And you know, sin blinds us to reason and common sense. That's why we don't need to get anywhere near sin because it has a very bad effect in our mind and we will not be able to see clearly. You want to verse 15 here. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. It's like, 
wait a minute, what happened here? A second earlier, he was saying, she's everything. I have to have her. But now he says, it says he hated her, and not just a little bit, exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, arise and be gone. So after he finished using her to fulfill his own lust, he had a huge amount of hatred overcome him. You know, I wonder if it finally hit him about what she was saying about him being one of the fools in Israel if he does this, or about his actions being so disgraceful. You know, I don't know if the brain started to work again and he is saying, who do you think you're talking to? I'm the next king, you know, so you're done. You're out of here. The thing we get from this, you know, young ladies, they need to be warned that there are guys out there like this. It's like somebody said, if the guy that you are with won't wait until you're married to have relations with you, then you're with a guy who loves himself a whole lot more than he loves you, regardless of what he tells you. And Amnon here, he wasn't looking to honor and cherish Tamar. That wasn't what he was doing. He was just wanting to satisfy his own flesh and his own sinful pleasures. So warn the young ladies. They need to know there are guys like this. You know, and there are guys out, like, out there like this that are going to use women like this, and they're going to come up with their own scheme. They won't need an Abinadab here, Jonadab, I'm sorry, to, to help them out. Uh, they're going to say anything they think they need to to get their own selfish way without any care for the young lady that they're with. You want to verse 16. So she said to him, as he's telling her, I'm done with you. She says, no, indeed. This evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. So this guy's pretty consistent. He won't listen to her. He won't pay attention to her, even though she's the most godly influence in his life right now. You know, she tries to get him to take his responsibility, you know, for his actions. She tries to tell him that you've done something now you're responsible for. Now you've got some more responsibilities that are facing you. And you know what? <laughs> when a poor lady's in a situation like this and just been used for, by a guy and is trying to get him to, to man up for this, good luck with that, ladies. It's not kind of the kind of guy you're with. You know, Amnon doesn't care. It doesn't bother him in the least that he just ruined this lady's life. His true colors are showing he only cares about himself. It's really, really sad, really sad. Verse 17, I, you know, I'm sure you have met people like this. I've run across guys like this growing up, and, and they would use the ladies like that, and they didn't care at all. And it just broke my heart to hear that. And this is before I got saved. My dad raised us in a moral home, and we knew right from wrong, you know. And when, when some guys would tell me their stories, I'm just thinking, wow you got to be kidding me. You did such a dastardly thing to this lady's life, and you don't even care. Wow. So this, isn't, this is not a new thing. This goes way, way back here to the, the wicked heart of man. Sorry, verse 17. Then he called his servant who attended him, and he said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughter. Uh, she wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. 
So he said, get her out of here and lock the door behind her. What a horrible guy. Once he messed up so bad, the least he could do is try to make things right. And again, there are still guys like this today. You know, his servant obeyed him here. I think it's kind of interesting. The Lord gave the description of what she had on because this servant, even though he's throwing her out, he clearly knows who this is. There's no mistaking that brilliant robe that she was wearing. He's ushering out the king's daughter. Wow. Verse 19, Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. The poor thing. She was mourning and her heart was broken, torn like her robe. She was filled with grief and sorrow. And this poor young lady who had such a promising future just an hour ago has just had all of her hopes and dreams yanked away from her. You know, but by her doing this action where she, she uh, tore her robe, she put ashes on her head, and she laid her head, and everything she was doing here, before, she did all this before she left this house, you notice, and she was showing visibly that she'd been violated, and she didn't go along with any part of this at all. So it's a good thing she did that at this point. Uh, it, it definitely shows that she was taken advantage of, and she was not a willing participant with any of this. Verse 20, it says, And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? So he knows about what's been going on. He's apparently had his ear to the ground. He's not too surprised by this. And he says, But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. So Absalom... He was trying to comfort her here. He was basically saying, this was not your fault. You are not the cause of this. You were innocent. Then he took her home to take care of her. And she probably remained unmarried in his home for the rest of her life here. Uh, verse 21, but when King David heard of all these things, so the whole story came to him, he heard all the details, it says he was very angry. And then you know what he did? Nothing. David's reaction was great anger, but no action. Take a look at Leviticus 20, another reminder for us. This is what the law says about this incident. Leviticus 20 and verse 17 Leviticus 20, verse 17 says, If a man takes his sister, that's what he did, his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, half-sister here, and sees her nakedness, meaning they had their relationship, and she sees his nakedness, and this passage is actually talking about both parties being involved in this, but she wasn't. It says, It is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off. In his case, he should have been cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his guilt. But David didn't do anything about this situation. It's like somebody said, you know, David should have at least publicly removed him from his future opportunity to be the next king. But David didn't do anything. 
Now, some people think that David didn't act here because of his own sin with Bathsheba. A lot of similarities here in some places, huh? But regardless of our past sins, we need to let our children know that the standard for right and wrong is always the Word of God, you know? Just because we fail in our past doesn't mean that we shy away from upholding God's Word as the standard now for our children and for our families. And if we fail to do this, then in a sense, we're, we're basically redefining what God says is the standard for right and wrong. So by David not doing anything here, it almost seems like he's upset about it, but it's really okay. Wow. You know, and if you need help with that when it comes to your kids and that, to, to really enforce what God says, even though it, it's going to bring heavy conviction on you because you know you didn't do what God said back in the day, one thing that may help is remember that our children belong to the Lord first and to us second. We've been entrusted by the Lord to raise them according to his standards, and those are the standards that they must live by. Back in our passage in 2 Samuel 13, down to verse 22, David, we saw what happened with him. He was very upset. It says in verse 22, And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. So Absalom's response, he never talked to his brother again. He was never going to forgive him for what he did to hurt and disgrace Absalom's sister. We find out later that Absalom isn't just angry with Amnon. He's also bitter against his father David for not doing anything about this. So Absalom ends up with a bitter heart against his dad. You know, we talk about these dominoes before when a sin happens and it just keeps knocking over other dominoes and that, and you can see the sin, how it's just spreading and affecting other people and causing changes in other people's lives, and it's just very sad to watch. But the Lord shows us this again. He brings it right up close to our face so we can say, wow, Lord, wow, help us. Help us not to stray, to get away from your ways, and help us to follow you, Lord, and to expose this stuff. Wow. So get on to verse 23 and back in our passage, 2 Samuel 13. Verse 23, it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now this would be the time of year when they're going to you know, shear their sheep and it's a great time of profit and everything for them. So it's kind of like the crops coming in you know, for the farmers. So this is a time of celebration. So Absalom, he invites all the king's sons. Then it says, Absalom came to the king and he said, kindly note, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. So he's inviting his dad specifically, you know, hey, please come and, and celebrate this with us. But the king said to Absalom, no, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. So David says, nah, I don't think I can go right now. It's just not a good time, and I don't know, you know if this would be good to be a burden for you, so I don't, I don't think I'll be part of this. But even though he's urged to go, he does bless him, say, hey, Lord, bless you guys, have a great time, you know. And So he's not trying to take anything away from the celebration. He's just saying, 
I, I'm not going to take part of it. I don't think I can go now. This is going to be too much for you. Verse 26, then Absalom said, if not, so if you're not able to make it, then please let my brother Amnon go with us. <laughs> and the king said to him, why should he go with you? <laughs> so David's got a little radar going on here and thinking, I didn't think you guys were talking, you know, for a couple years now. So why do you want him to go? And Absalom, it says he urged him. So he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. So Absalom has given his dad all this time to do something about this evil thing that happened to Tamar. Since nothing happened, so now he decides to take care of this himself. And he has a plan. Verse 28. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, so we're going to get him drinking, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. I know he's the king's son, next guy in line, don't worry about it. He says, have I not commanded you? I have the authority to do this. This is on me. So he's saying, be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Notice how quickly this all takes place. Boom, <laughs> one verse and it's over with. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. When they saw their brother uh, butchered here, they decided we need to get out of here now because as far as they know, we, they might be thinking our brother's making a run for the kingdom here and he's going to get rid of the rest of us, so they took off. They must have seen crazy in his eyes, so they were not going to stick around. Verse 30, it came to pass while they were on their way that news came to David saying Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Now that wasn't the case, but this is the news that was brought back to him and I think it was part of the plan. So the king arose and he tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then look who shows up here. Then Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, let my, not my Lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. So that's why I think this is part of the plan. I think I know who's behind it, <laughs> this guy who's so crafty. I think he figured, you know what, we'll get your dad upset thinking everybody's dead. And when he finds out it was just one of the sons, he'll probably take it a lot better. And, and, jo and, uh, and Jonadab even says, I'll be the one to tell him. I got no problem with that. He's got a lot of faith in his slick ways here, okay? So he says here, it was only, Jonah, uh, only Amnon who is dead at the end of verse 32. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Wow. Those words must have cut David's heart deeply because he's basically saying, since no one else has dealt with this, He's been planning on taking care of it all this time. So it's a shame. You know, now David's going to have to live with the bitter circumstances and consequences here that somebody else took care of it. One of his own sons killed the other, other son. What a painful day for him. So verse 33, Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart. Don't feel so bad about this to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Wow. 
How'd you like to have this guy whispering in your ear, mercy's sakes? Verse 34, then Absalom fled. He knows he's in trouble now. And the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it is. So I think they had this all set up, and they had a guy even watching here. So when the, the sun started to show up, this guy was going to ring out and say, look, here they come, the sons of the king. Again, to try to appease David a little bit here. Verse 36, so it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. And I think that was for his son Amnon. It broke his heart that his son, his oldest son, died now this way. Verse 38, so Absalom fled and he went to Geshur and he was there for three years. Do you notice the time element passing? There's two years that he waited for dad to do something. Dad didn't do it, so he took care of it himself. Now three more years have passed. Verse 39, and King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So after the passing of time, David moves on and he realizes Amnon's gone. I can't bring him back. But I do have a son who's still alive, Absalom, and I want to be restored to him. And that's, that's where David is at this point. You know, but look how much time and how many years and lives have been affected by the sin of Amnon, you know? And when we give in a temptation, we can't imagine how many people will be hurt and how much time can be lost. These are sobering lessons, you know, and we pray that we take these things to heart. Now, you know, just to give just a really shadow of maybe uh, the doubt of giving Jonadab a little bit of a benefit here, maybe, we don't know. But at the beginning of the story, when he starts to do his little crafty scheme with Amnon, it maybe it didn't occur to him that Amnon had it in his heart that he was actually going to rape her. We don't know. We're not given enough details. But if we want to give him any benefit of a doubt, that maybe he just thought, hey, you want to meet with her? I'll tell you how you can do it. I know a way around that we can work this out. But, you know, the thing we see is the bad influence has such far-reaching effects and it hurts so, much, so many people and can do so much damage and even end up taking lives, you know? So, yeah, this is another one of those heavy stories. The Lord gives us some very heavy lessons here as we go through this, you know, because he's trying to warn us, saying, look, people like this are still in the world. You still have folks like this all around you. It might be the neighbors. might be your neighbors where you live. might be the people you work with, you know. So beware about the friendships that you make. What a, a very hard lesson here. But, you know, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, if, if someone has come to mind as we've gone through this, you're thinking, you know, I got this guy. He's always trying to encourage me to do the wrong thing. The Lord is saying, it's time to break that relationship. I don't care who it is. You need to move away from that situation, you know. So, yeah, we, we have a, a good word from the Lord here about 
watching our friends. And if you know other situations like that too, you know, uh, this is time to pray for them. Let's lift that up to the Lord. Father, if there are people that came to mind as we see this from your word today, I pray, Lord, you give the, the Christians the, the wisdom and the boldness to say, Lord, I, I don't want to be with this person because they're, they're pulling me away from you. And Lord, we know that the situation still goes on today in our time period. So Lord, we just pray. We thank you for these protecting words you give us from your word. We thank you for the, the beauty you show us of that there are also godly people here like Tamar who want to do the right thing. Lord, we pray, help us to have those kind of friends to surround us with people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for these, the great lessons you show us, even though they're so painful. Thank you for loving us enough to show us what we need to do with our lives. So, Lord, we want to return to you all the blessing, all the honor for this, and we give you the thanks there in Jesus' precious name. Amen.